Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Coronavirus and Sports. This is Luis Miguel Echegaray. Today, horse racing. We'll be welcoming senior writer Pat Forty once again to the pod to break down how racing, specifically thoroughbred, has been reacting during the pandemic. We'll also talk about the historic Triple Crown and its reshuffled schedule, which could prove to be an advantage for trainers and their horses. The equestrian sport of horse racing is as ancient as history itself a practice that traces back to the Roman Empire and the beginnings of the Greek Olympics. Thoroughbred racing in particular has always taken a role with tradition, and by the 18th century, mainly through royalty and aristocrats, it was known as the sport of kings. Nowadays, it is a gigantic industry, coupled with the needs of gamblers as horse betting brings in as much clientele as any other sport. During COVID-19, as many sports suspended action, horse racing and gambling remained stoic and brought in some staggering betting handles with millions of dollars wagered these last few months. Another major staple of horse racing in the US is the famous Triple Crown, the title awarded to a three-year-old thoroughbred horse who wins the three major races, the Kentucky Derby, Preakness Stakes, and the Bellman Stakes. Due to the outbreak, the calendar had to be changed and what seemed as a hindrance could now prove to be an advantage for the Triple Crown. Joining us now is once again, senior writer Pat Forty. Pat, thank you so much for joining and returning to the podcast. My pleasure, Luis. Good to be with you. Pat, um, before we talk about Triple Crown news, let's first answer a simple question to our listeners who may not be familiar with the horse racing world. How has the world of horse racing in general been doing during the pandemic? Uh, pretty well. You know, for a sport that's been wildly dysfunctional and kind of couldn't get out of its own way, they've been able to capitalize on the vacuum in the sporting market. The tracks that have been open have been doing an incredible amount of business. Uh, Fawner Park, a, an obscure track in Grand Island, Nebraska, 
has done incredible handles because betters are they're starving for something to bet on. And with no basketball, no baseball, uh, no golf, many other sports on the sideline, Fawner Park all of a sudden became this, this oasis, uh, and they were doing handles uh, in terms of wagering 10 times what they did at this time last year. Churchill Downs, its opening weekend, uh, Saturday and Sunday, even with no fans and nobody in Churchill Downs itself, handle was up 185% year over year for opening weekend 2019. So uh, horse racing, uh, despite all of its issues and problems, has been able to exploit uh, an advantage here in the marketplace. So I think I know the answer to this, but do you think that the close then symbiotic relationship between racing and gambling is, is really the main reason for the surge, or is there more to it than that? No, I think that's absolutely the main reason for it. Is you know people that are used to betting on uh, the NBA playoffs don't have anything to bet on there. If you're used to betting on baseball, you don't have that. Uh, various other outlets, and and now here's horse racing presenting itself, and that's always been a reliable avenue for for betters. Uh, and it's uh, it's readily available. It's easy to bet on remotely, and uh, you can watch what's happening. So it's it is definitely been that more than I think anything else. Now, it, the, the interesting thing, Luis, and I think we'll get into this, is it, it was shaping up to be a very interesting Triple Crown season as is. So if you are a fan of the actual sport as opposed to just betting on who wins or loses, there was a lot to draw you there to begin with. But now when it's the only game in town, that certainly makes the betters uh, all the gravitate all the more to horse racing. Yeah, you, you made a perfect segue to my next question about the Triple Crown. I mean, a lot of reshuffling has been going on. The Kentucky Derby, of course, usually starts us off, uh, but that was moved to September. What does the schedule look like now for the Triple Crown? Uh, the new schedule, which was just finalized this week, uh, in uh, late May here with the, the Belmont finally declaring its intentions is going to be the Belmont will be first. The last will be first. Uh, it's usually the third leg of the triple crown, but that has been uh, moved to the front. They're we're going to race on June 20th. It's a two week pushback is all from the normal starting date of June 6th. There will be no fans in attendance, which is unfortunate, but they still wanted to keep the June window for that race. Uh, the Kentucky Derby has been moved from its traditional first Saturday in May to the first Saturday in September, Labor Day weekend. Uh, I think that's going to be a great avenue for it, although it does compete with the start of college football. And then October 3rd will be the Preakness, uh, wrapping things up. There's a lot to like about this, and we can get into that, but uh, that's the new setup, and it's it's a... A complete jumbling of tradition, but sometimes you got to break tradition, especially in unprecedented circumstances like we now face. Well, let's get into it. What are the good things about it? What are the positive things about, you know, reshuffling the Triple Crown as it is this year? Yeah, for one, we're actually going to still have it. So that's good. This is not cancellations of races, postponements only. So the races will all still be run. Secondly, I think one of the big problems with the Triple Crown in modern racing has been the, the spacing between races has been too short. There's always been three, two weeks between the Derby and the Preakness, then three weeks between the Preakness and the Belmont. Modern horses are not bred and conditioned to run three times in five weeks. It's more like once every five weeks. So now they're going to have an opportunity to be more in their comfort zone. You're going to race uh, late June, then two months off, 75 days till the Kentucky Derby, and then another four weeks after that to the Preakness. I think you will see... 
much more comfortable trainers with that. And you'll see ownership groups that are going to say, okay, we're going to run all three races this year because they're spaced out better. It'll be better for the horses, should be better for them health-wise. You should have fuller and more competitive fields in all three races. Or certainly the Derby's always been the, 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 the race, but I think you should see hor uh, horsemen that are actually pointing now to running in all three. Yeah, that's a really good point. In many ways, it's like human beings, right? Like athletes who, you know, need, especially, you know, marathon maybe, or even the NFL that usually has just one game a week for a team. You know, you want to make sure that you, you elongate that time in order for rehabilitation of a, of a horse in this particular category. Absolutely. You know, and that's the thing. And just, it's, it's just not the way anybody really conditions their horses to run anymore. Uh, it, you know, the, the, the Triple Crown came about over a century ago. And so what worked then doesn't necessarily work now. I know we have had two Triple Crown winners within the last five years, but I think those were uh, extraordinary circumstances. And, and in spite of the spacing between races as opposed to because of. So uh, I, I really think this is going to be better for, for all involved parties in terms of having to, being able to see healthy, mature horses run three different times at three different distances in three different places against each other. We'll return after these short messages. You talked about, you know, those triple crown winners. Let's talk about, you know, somebody who's responsible, uh, you know, for that in recent years. You know, you talked um, at least via phone to well-known racehorse uh, trainer Bob Baffert about this, a man who has a tremendous resume, of course, uh, American Pharaoh, et cetera. Tell us a little bit about him and how he feels about the decision to spread out the schedule. Yeah, Bob Baffert, one of the most interesting people I've covered in any sport, uh, came out of the quarter horse ranks, uh, was a, you know, kind of a up from the bootstraps guy from the deserts of Arizona who started doing really well on the quarter horse circuit and then moved to Los Angeles uh, and then got into thoroughbreds and hit the ground running in the mid-90s. And he shows up at the Kentucky Derby in 1996, very fresh, candid, funny guy. And uh, he's a breath of fresh air there. And he brings in a horse named Cavanier that nearly won, got caught at the wire. A very dramatic finish. Then he comes back the next year and wins with Silver Charm and wins the year after that with Real Quiet. And suddenly he's... He's the guy in horse thoroughbred horse racing, certainly for the three-year-old races, and that has only uh, become more and more true as time has gone along. He did. He came close to winning several Triple Crowns, and then he finally did it, broke through with American Pharaoh in 2015, won it again with Justify in 2018, and he brings a very flush hand into 2020. Uh, he was a guy, if, if racing had gone along as scheduled, I think there's a great chance that he would have dominated the Kentucky Derby and probably won the Preakness as well. He has three horses uh, who are extremely impressive. Uh, if you look at the National Thoroughbred Racing Association rankings of the top three-year-olds, which is subjective, of course, but still based on what's happened on the track, Nadal is the number one horse in that. He has the number three horse in Charlatan, and then he has the number four horse in Authentic. So, And then he has another horse named Cezanne, who hasn't even raced yet, but well-bred, and he threw a bullet work down uh, in his first public workout uh, last week. And so just the rich keep getting richer with Bob Baffert. I think that's it may, the other trainers may not like it, but it's good for the casual fans because it gives somebody they can gravitate to and identify with. So how does he feel about this schedule? I imagine, as you mentioned, um, it's a good thing giving out the spreading and the fact that he can have more time to, you know, work with his horses. 
Yeah, Baffert's a traditionalist, and I think that he would prefer the the normal setup, especially he's been one that's made it work. It's worked for him. He conditions his horses very hard. They are ready. They are dead fit uh, for the Derby. That usually carries over to the Preakness. He's won seven Preaknesses, usually because his horses that were ready on the first Saturday in May are also ready on the third Saturday in May. Then the question is, can you keep them going for the Belmont? So he would rather see things stay the same. But I do think, regardless, he's going to be in the mix. He's got he's got the best horses for the most part. He's got the most horses, most quality horses. So it's going to work out okay for him. I think it, it, the question with all horses, can they stay healthy for long enough? His horses that look so good in the spring, three-year-olds change. And will they go over the top as the racing parlance and, and not be as good? Will they lose their top form by the time... You know, we get to September after the 75 days between the Belmont and the Derby. That's always a possibility. Uh, there's so many variables and everything, but Bob Baffert will be a, a heavy factor as usual in this Triple Crown. Pat, finally, the Triple Crown, uh, you know, might now be more stocked with so much horse talent, as you mentioned, than ever before, perhaps. What are some horses to maybe watch out for during the season, do you think? Well, they're definitely the, the, the Baffert horses that I mentioned, and then Tis the Law is the other uh, top three-year-old. Very close voting in that NTRA poll between Nadal and Tis the Law about who would be the number one horse. Uh, the, the great thing about this, and I'm, I'm really I'm hoping we get 12 to 14 horses for the Belmont and everybody comes in on top of their game, and for once we're looking at a Belmont that's really a big full stock field because as I've mentioned, it's kind of been a war of attrition as much as anything else. Most horses don't run all three legs. Some will just go the first two and they're tapped out by the time they get to the Belmont. The other equalizing factor in the Belmont this year will be the fact it's a shorter distance. It's a mile and an eighth instead of a mile and a half. And the mile and a half was a real separator. Uh, if, you dot, if you're not bred to run that far, if you haven't shown incredible stamina, most, most people are going are gonna to skip that race. Now at a mile and eighth, I think a lot more people will say that's an accessible race for my horse. So I'm hopeful that we've got, you know, a bunch of really good contenders and the, uh, the Belmont shapes up as a, as a knockout start to the Triple Crown. So in a way, it favors sprinters as opposed to long distances horses, perhaps. Yeah, maybe not quite flat-out sprinters. That's more mile or less. Right. This is going to be a mile and an eighth. But compared to the other, compared to a Belmont that was a marathon, this is a little bit more middle distance for sure. Pat, I got one more question for you. Obviously, you you sure. know this sport very well. You cover it um, extensively. Part of it is the atmosphere, right? The fact that you can just. Even if you're not physically there, when you're watching on TV, whether it's the Kentucky Derby or the Belmont Stakes, you, you see the atmosphere, people dress up for it, uh, drinks, uh, having a good time. That's going to be obviously a, a part that really is missing throughout all of this. Uh, do you think that that's a major component that people are going to miss more so than anything else, even though these races are going to happen? Yeah, absolutely. No, that's that that's a huge part of it. it you know, a racetrack on an average Wednesday can be a little bit of a depressing place. You know, it, it, you're going to get some some of the degenerate gamblers and maybe not very big crowds, and and there's not a lot of atmosphere there. For the big races, the atmosphere is pretty magical. It's a lot of fun. Uh, the Belmont certainly will have no fans. I think the Derby and the Preakness are still holding out hope. We'll have to see how that looks come September, October. 
Uh, I would say there's no chance they will have general admission for the Derby, which means the famous 150,000-person throng will be considerably smaller. There won't be an infield scene, I am sure. There won't be general admission in the paddock. Hopefully there's still there will be fans in the boxes there, and then the Preakness would probably follow a similar model. Uh, but yeah, that's look, that's a big part of it, is, is the fashion and the colors and the... Yeah, the, the partying, and it's just a super festive atmosphere. It's a very fun place to be at a track on the day of a big race. And it will feel markedly different at the Belmont, for sure. Uh, it'll be noticed on TV. It'll obviously be profoundly noticed uh, in Long Island. And, uh, you know, that that's a shame. But that's the reality of sports as we're looking at it here and now. One of my favorite people to talk to, Sports Illustrated senior writer. The beard looks great. Pod 40, thank you so much for joining us. Luis, my pleasure. Thank you. The Triple Crown is a three-time event filled with tradition. And tradition is something extremely important to the horse racing world. The idea that the Kentucky Derby won't be the race to kick up the celebrations and now will be held in September will naturally feel surreal. But the truth is, we're living in surreal times. And as Pat mentioned in his piece, breaking with tradition can sometimes feel liberating. Thanks to Pat Forty for joining me today. For more on the Triple Crown and other related content, make sure you visit SI.com. We'll continue bringing you these stories throughout the coronavirus crisis. If you like what we're doing, please recommend us to a friend or family member and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show. You can listen to Coronavirus and Sports for free wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe or follow us for the latest episodes. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.